0: Thank you, thank you. It's such a privilege really to be able to address you here at the the end of the decade and the beginning of a new one. And we're just so delighted today to really be in the presence of God and expect Him to do miracles in our lives. He is here amongst us, Amen. amen. And so we have great expectation for the Lord to move. I wonder if we could just pray together before we get into the Word of God today. Father, we thank you so much for your presence amongst us. We thank you, Lord, for what you are doing here. For even as we have worshipped, Lord, you have come amongst us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And you are here, Father God, to heal, to set free, to help us to leave behind things that may be regrets from the past and to enter into the destiny that you have for our lives. We thank you, Lord, that each and every one of us has been chosen by you and that your plans for our lives are good. We do pray, Father, that not one of us will leave this place today without the joy of your forgiveness and the certainty of eternal life. We pray, Lord, we would leave with a sense of purpose and destiny, knowing that you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, a good, uh, a good morning to everybody, and can we just say a hi to everybody in our different congregations, perhaps in Leicester and in Cambridge and in London? Maybe we could just give them a round of applause. I would love to say welcome to see you, but it's a bit one way here. But anyway, it's fantastic nonetheless just to be together here in the presence of God. And at the end of 2019 and at the beginning, as we're coming only in a few days now to the beginning of 2020, I really want to remind us all today that God has a great and a good plan for our lives. It's so important to know that. It's so important to remind ourselves of that. If you're anything like me, I need to remind myself fairly regularly, God has a great plan for my life and he is working it out. God is an active God. He's a God who is involved. He's not a God, as some people think, who created the world and then stepped back and let it just carry on its own merry way. Far from that, our God is a God who created us. And for us who know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, He recreated us. He made us anew in His image, and He set us on the path He has for our lives, which is a good plan. We are not a purposeless people. We are a purposeful people in the kingdom of God. Amen. One of the most famous verses of the Bible says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. To do you good and not evil. That's found in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. It's one of those kind of fridge magnet verses you want maybe to put over your life, or declare over your life, that God has a future for you. God has a hope for you. A few moments ago when Dave was praying for us, I had a sense that there were several people here today, two or three, who even uh, perhaps were struggling with suicidal thoughts. A thoughts of just you couldn't see the future. But can I just say to you, this is a good word to counteract every negative word, to say to yourself regularly, God has a good plan for my life. He has a future for my life. He has a certain hope for my life. Good plans for me. And so I want to say today that God has plans and purpose for each and every one of us. He has called us to be a people of purpose. And my theme today, if we're going to put a a theme to this message, is this. Anointed for purpose. Anointed for purpose. That phrase anointed, that word anointed, is is a Bible term. It means to be set apart for and empowered for a particular purpose that God has for our lives. And the truth of Scripture is that every one of us has been called by God, first of all, to know Him, and then secondly, to serve Him. So God has a good plan for our lives, but it all comes out of relationship. In many ways, in all of our lives, if we are right with God, we are right with one another, and we are rightly aligned to his purpose in our lives, we will live happy and fulfilled lives. But if any of those areas goes wrong, either our relationship with God, our relationship with others, or a resistance to God's purpose in our lives, that kind of happiness meter, if I call it like that, suddenly goes down, doesn't it? And so it's really important that we align ourselves with the Lord today. We align ourselves in our relationships and we align ourselves with God's purpose. And God has anointed us to be a people of purpose. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 and 19 says this, You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What a beautiful scripture. It not only tells us that God has redeemed us, which that word redeemed literally means to be delivered by means of a sacrifice. And so every one of us was, was actually in bondage through sin to the power of Satan, the Bible says. But Christ came and redeemed us. He paid the price for our sins through his death and in his resurrection, he has brought us back to God. We belong to the Lord. We are a delivered people. Amen. And that's remarkably good news. It's wonderful to know today that He has redeemed us and the value He places on our lives is more than can be determined by pounds and pence. The value is the blood of His own Son. So let me say today, you and I are precious to God. You and I matter to God. And he has a wonderful plan for us. But look at this. It tells us not only that we were redeemed from sin, but it also tells us that we were redeemed from a sense of aimlessness. I remember many years ago, coming out of a meeting with Don Double, who was the evangelist who trained me many years ago, and, uh, and actually Don was talking to the chap who was at that time the head of the Elam movement of churches and had been in a meeting. As we came out of the meeting, it was a fairly uneventful meeting. And as we walked out of that, the head of Elam turned to Don and said, what did you think of that meeting, Don? Uh, and i never forget his response. He turned to him and said, well, let's put it this way. They aimed at nothing and they hit it. <laughs> and The truth about it is, is that sometimes that can be exactly what happens in our own lives. I think it's a tragedy when people who have been created in the image of God and made with such a purpose to reveal His glory and His goodness in the world today live their lives as if, as if nothing mattered, as if their life was just a going round in a circle. The Bible says we've been redeemed from that. We've actually been redeemed into a life that has purpose. Instead of a purposeless life, into a purposeful life. And my prayer today is that every one of us will discover what it means to follow Christ in His great plan and His great purpose in redeeming humanity, to walk and live in the glory of God, to reveal His love to the world and to reveal His love to one another and give Him glory. Amen. It's a wonderful thing. Somebody wants it. Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? Those are the words that are on the gravestone of a great preacher called Leonard Ravenhill. Can you imagine walking through a graveyard and seeing those words? Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? Powerful, powerful stuff. We have been saved for divine purpose. For divine purpose. You know, it was Dima Shikarian, who was the founder of the Full Gospel Businessman's Fellowship International, that actually has been responsible for the salvation and the introducing to Christ of hundreds of thousands of business people all over the world. It had been an amazing move of God. He wrote a book called The Happiest People on Earth. It really is a book all about people. It's full of testimonies of men and women who have discovered divine purpose in their lives through a relationship with Jesus Christ and discovered the joy and the happiness that flows from being rightly related to God and embracing His plan for our lives. You know, let's look at this scripture together. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10. Remarkable words written by the Apostle Paul. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Aren't you glad that it's the gift of God? You and I cannot earn God's forgiveness. We cannot earn right standing with him, but we receive it. For we are his workmanship, his poem, the Greek word is poema, his masterpiece of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's a very powerful scripture. It tells us about God's work and it tells us about our works. It tells us that we cannot be saved by our works, but we have been saved by his good work. So in the cross of Christ, Jesus did the work of saving you and me. No matter how much you fast and pray, how much you repent, however much you try to live right with God, you can never justify yourself in the eyes of a holy God. But God has done the work for us. God became a man in his son, Jesus Christ, And he took the price for us. He paid the penalty for us. He has saved us by grace. It is the gift of God. But even though we're not saved by good works, we are saved to good works. And so God designed that you and I would live a purposeful life. My dad, who was a, both a businessman and a pastor for many years, used to say this to me. He says, John, I pray every day that God will not allow me to miss one good work he's planned for my life. That's a great prayer to pray every day. I pray the same thing and I pray it for you today that God will not permit you to miss one good work that he has planned for your life. The Bible doesn't teach fatalism. Like Islam teaches, whatever Allah will, will be. The sovereignty of God is different to that. God in His sovereignty in Scripture teaches predestination, which means God has predetermined a destination for your life, but it's your responsibility to respond to Him. It's a relationship and the journey of His plan and purpose for your life, for which we give an account at the end. And so it's really important that we understand this God has good works for us, but we are to put, we are to align our lives with Him and walk in relationship with Him so we can get right online with His plan and see His power come through our lives. Amen? It's fantastic good news. Well, In following his purpose for us, first of all, the greatest purpose for every Christian, although he has individual plans in the outworking of his purpose for our lives, there is a general plan and a general purpose he has for every single one of us. And that is ultimately to be like Jesus Christ himself. That is really the aim of the Christian life, that both morally and devotionally and in ministry, we would be like Jesus himself. And it's possible. The Bible says it's possible. In fact, the scripture says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, if anyone claims to abide or remain in him, that they should walk also as Jesus walked. Now, that phrase to walk always implies lifestyle. It implies how we live our lives. And God has called us to live like Jesus. Now, of course, it would be very unjust of God to call us to live like Jesus without making it possible. And He has made it possible by the power of His Spirit. First of all, He makes us new creations in Christ on the inside. Then He fills us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And He enables us, as we learn to take steps of faith, to walk like Him, to live and to do the same things Jesus did. And that's the Christian life. The Christian life is so much more than just attending a service or going to a prayer meeting. It's living the Jesus life in the day-to-day, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It's very quiet around here. Is that that an amen? (laughs) It's true. It's the amen. God wants us to live our lives for Him. Do you know that the first disciples were called Christians not by God but by man? In Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, the Bible says it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians, Christians, a little Christ is what it means. Some people think the name Christ is Jesus' last name, but they like you'd sign on at the end of a, your signature at the end of a check or something. But actually, it's not that way at all. It's a title. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the promised one. And you know, when the people of Antioch saw the followers of Jesus loving each other like Jesus, living like Jesus, living pure lives, godly lives, on fire lives, lives of purpose, lives of love, lives of truth and integrity, lives where they saw God answering prayer, doing miracles through them, sharing the gospel, they said, who do they think they are? They are like Jesus. They are Christians like little Jesuses. I wonder today if honestly, if you consider your life, do you think that you honestly could live up to the accusation? How many of us today think we could be recognized as Christians? You know, in the early church, at first it was seen as a term of mockery and derision. But as, the, as, as years went by, the believers, the followers of Jesus, saw this as a label of honor. And many of them went to the lions under this judgment. Are you or are you not a Christian? And when they said, I am, they were sent to their death. Today, could we honestly be labeled as Christians When people listen to us talk, when they see our attitudes and the way that we live our lives. Let it be that we would live our lives as that. Anointed ones. The name Christ means anointed one. Do you know today, by definition, you are an anointed one. Well, that deserves an amen. You are an anointed one. Guys, listen, you are an anointed one. You are set apart to God. You are a person who has been chosen by God and empowered by God to live for his purpose and destiny, to advance, extend the kingdom of God in the earth. Amen. It's exciting stuff. Well, why don't we look together? If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 4 or maybe just read the scripture off the back here. But Luke chapter 4, we're going to read here, starting at verse 17. The context is Jesus has come to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of the favor of the Lord. Verse 21 says, he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's actually a very, very powerful scripture. This is a messianic scripture coming from Isaiah 61. It's, it was descriptive of what the Messiah would be like, his purpose, what he would do in people's lives. It would help people to recognize who he was. And when he uses the the term fulfilled, he's using the Greek aorist tense. That's a tense that speaks of something that is done, established, and evermore shall be. So when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, that's the tense he was using. He said, it's complete, it's done, it's finished, and evermore shall be. You cannot ever undo the work of the cross of Christ on our behalf. Amen. Thank God. So when Jesus says, these words are fulfilled in your hearing, he's actually saying, I am declaring a whole new era for humanity. Then Jesus the Christ came. He says, from this day on, wherever the Christ is preached, wherever Jesus is proclaimed, good news will be proclaimed to the poor. The eyes of the blind will be opened. Captives will be set free. Those who are oppressed and brokenhearted will be liberated and healed. And they will know the favor of God restoring their lives. What an amazing promise of God. And it is current. It is present. It's here today for you and me. Amen. This is what Jesus declared as his mandate, his purpose. He is anointed and empowered to do these things. I want just to share a few testimonies from our experience traveling around the world and You know, for 32 years, I've been privileged to preach the gospel around the world, about 52 countries thus far. And so I just want to just share a few testimonies. You know, this is the testimony of Scripture. And it is, has been for me over these years, the testimony of my own experience of the faithfulness of God. Mark 16 verse 20 says that they went out everywhere preaching the word and the Lord worked with them, confirming the word by the signs that accompanied it. And so wherever the gospel is preached, the gospel happens. It changes people's lives in every area of their life when they receive the Christ. So first of all, the spirit of the Lord is upon us to preach, to share the good news Let me just share something of quite a recent miracle. This happened this summer. These are all just a few testimonies from the last months. And you know, in the summer, we were out in Eastern Europe. We took the team out there and some of our interns. And as we were going out and about in some of the towns and in the villages, some of the team went out into a gypsy village. And as they went out into the gypsy village there, they got out some guitars and they were playing and they were singing praise to God. And they were sharing testimony and preaching the gospel. And they started to pray for the sick. As they started to pray for the sick, blind eyes came open and deaf ears came open and pain was leaving people. So many different things started to happen. Well, amongst all of this, there were some children. And while the miracles were happening, one of the children ran back into the home of his parents. As he went back to the home of his parents... He ran back in there and said, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, bring little, whatever the name of the little boy was. But his younger brother was just five years old but was born with a club foot. And the club foot therefore was crunched up, coming back inwards like this and turned around at 90 degrees to the foot like this. And he said, there are people out here who are praying and miracles are happening. Bring him out. And so they took and The parents came out holding the little five-year-old in their arms and brought him up to our team. And as they as they did in front of everybody a crowd of about 50 people had gathered and everybody knew the child because of course he was born in the community and so our team just took the little boy and prayed over his foot and in front of all of their eyes the foot just turned around and grew out and went straight and everybody was stunned they preached Jesus they preached Jesus to them and as they preached this Jesus who's just healed this little boy 46 of the 50 gave their life to Christ there and then on the spot Isn't that our Jesus? He's good news to the poor. He really is good news. You know, he came to heal broken hearts and to set captives free. I'm going to put these two phrases together because in our own experience, sharing the gospel to people around the world, we find so often that these two things are so regularly linked between broken hearts and captivity. So many addictions are based on a frustration, an inner wound, and a pain. And people are self-medicating, self-comforting the issue, looking for answers in all the wrong places and ending up in bondage. And Jesus wants to not only break our chains, but also heal the wounds that have given birth to them in the first place. You know, So let me just say this, that... Uh, you know, we just come back from uh, the end of November from Argentina. And Argentina has been in a great revival for 30 years now. There's such an openness to God. Well, the one particular city that I went to, the, the, uh, the press, the, the city press, the TV and all of that, got to hear that we were around. Apparently, it's a city that not many international visitors go to, especially international preachers. And so it was an event. So they came to see us and they asked, can we film you praying for the sick out in a public place? Not in a church meeting. So we want to see if this stuff really works outside. So we said, yes, we'd be delighted. And so they came along. I was actually very tired after 26 hours of travel. And I was supposed to be preparing my message for the evening during the morning. However... um, our interpreter said to me, he said, John, look, you know, just go out for 20 minutes. They only want a little bit of footage for the, for the news. And, and uh, then after 20 minutes, you can go back in and do your preparation. I said, all right. So we went for a walk in the park. As we went into the park, the first man I saw coming towards me was on crutches. Now, I walked past him, but I, I, I hope you know what I mean when I say I kind of got this inner kind of something on the inside prompted me I meant to pray for the fella, But uh, I just walked on past him for a bit. And after I'm about 10 steps on, I stopped my interpreter. I said, you know what? We need to pray for that guy. So we turned and said, come on. So we turned around, we went back to him and I tapped him on the shoulder. He turned around and I said, sir, hi there. Lovely to see you. Look, uh, um, of course, I'm using my interpreter. But I said, uh, I said, can I just say, look, we're, we're out here as uh, believers, we've come from England, and uh, we're just here to tell you that Jesus Christ loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life, and, and we want to pray for you, you know, if there's anything we can pray for, you appeared to be in some pain, or, or restriction here of movement, what's happened? He said, oh, I've had a terrible accident, and he said, uh, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain and I can't move my ankle, my foot properly. I said, okay, well, can I pray for you? He said, yes, please do. So I go down there and I pray for him. And in all honesty, I prayed for him four times. You know, I think Jesus prayed for a blind man twice. so I can get away with four. And... Um, so I prayed for him four times. While I'm praying, a crowd of people gathered around to watch what was happening, which of course is what we want because we want to tell them about Jesus. So we have this crowd gathered around us and I'm praying for his foot. Well, after the fourth time, I stand up and he drops his crutches and he starts walking freely. As he walks around freely and the TV catches all of this and everything. Well, I thought, you know, never ever leave it just at healing. So I then turn him round to face the crowd and I put my arm around him and I tell him this Jesus who's just healed our friend here, he now wants to do an even greater miracle in all of your lives because he died for your sins and rose again and he can make you a brand new person on the inside, take away your past and, and save you from your sins. Who wants this Jesus? Well, 15 people raise their hand and they'll give the life to the Lord. Well. When that happens, a crowd begins to gather that's even bigger. And my 20 minutes extended to two and a half hours. As a long crowd of people just gathers in the park waiting to be prayed for, one after after another getting healed and saved and set free. Well, in the middle of all of that, there's a woman I notice who keeps coming and, and she's looking at me from a distance. She's going like this and she's watching me and then she goes away. She stops again. She comes in really close. She looks at me again like this, and then she walks away again. She did that for an hour and a half. At the end of an hour and a half, she finally gains the courage to come up and talk. And when she does, I say, uh, how can I help you, madam? And she looks at me and she she says, I'm in terrible pain. I have arthritis in all of my joints. But you know, when I looked at her, the Bible says the eyes are the window of the soul. And while I looked into her eyes, I could see so much more than her physical pain. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that bitterness dries the bones. And sometimes people go through things in life, some of their own fault at all, but somebody abuses them or hurts them in some way. And they really struggle working through forgiveness. And the pain develops into bitterness, which starts to then affect their body as well. Their health, their psyche, everything. So anyway, I start praying for her. As I start praying for her, I'm welcoming the Holy Spirit's love and power to come on her. And as this starts to happen, she starts to cry. And I start telling her this verse from the scriptures. And I said, you know, the Lord loves you. And she suddenly turns to me and she says, I can never forgive him. And then she tells me something quite horrific of how I, when I asked her, who are you referring to? She says, the man who was my partner, he abused me. He abused my little girl. And eventually he kidnapped her and then killed her. I could not begin to identify with the depth of pain in that dear woman's heart. So as I began to share with her, I said to her, you know, God, the Bible says God is angry with these kind of sins that people commit every day. He loves people. He hates sin. He wants to heal you and restore you. We can't change the past. But you know something? If we don't forgive, that bitterness and that pain will continue to produce itself in our lives. It'll continue to destroy you. I said, what's happened to you and what happened to your daughter is horrific. But you know what what can be even more horrific as life goes on is that this thing controls your whole life and your destiny for the rest of your life. I said, God will help you. He won't do the forgiving for you. You've got to make that choice. You've got the dignity and responsibility of your own decision. But the Lord will help you. Can I pray for you that he will help you? She agrees to that. About 10 minutes later, she makes the choice to forgive. When she forgives, a most remarkable thing happens because I didn't even pray for her healing, but as she forgives, I can feel the presence of God tangibly come on her body and she is healed. I can feel like the heat of the presence of power of the Holy Spirit going out of my hands and into her body. I knew she was being healed as she forgave. We came to the end of it. She gives her life to Jesus once she gives her life to the Lord and then tells me she has decided to forgive, then I just ask her, how is the arthritis? How's the pain? Why don't you give some movement to your hands and your wrists and your legs? She starts moving around. She breaks down in tears. She says, I can't believe it. My pain is gone. It's gone. I'm free. Total mobility was restored. Total freedom. She fell into my arms as inappropriately as you can. You just give a hug and... And off she went, but as she went on her way, she turned to me just about five steps away and she said to me, she said, you know, Jonathan, I came to you with rage in my heart, but I'm leaving with love and with joy and totally healed. She said, that's amazing. I said, that's Jesus. And Jesus is amazing. He opens blind eyes. He sets captives free. He brings favor and restoration to us. You know, I'm going to have to speed up because I can see the clock is whizzing along. But let me just say this to us for a moment. We are the body of Christ. And these things that Jesus did are the same things he's commissioned us to do. Sometimes it's easy to think that these kind of miracles belong to the quote-unquote specialists. They belong to the pastors and the preachers. No, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus said in John 14, 12, he who believes in me, the same works I do, he will do also, and greater works than these shall he do. We are the body of Christ. And this same anointing is in our lives. 1 John 2 and verse 20 says that we have received an anointing from the Holy One. That anointing speaks of the power of God and it's been given to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. That anointing is released when we receive and release the power of the Holy Spirit by faith. John 7, 37, 39, Jesus said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke of the Holy Spirit. And you know, once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to then learn to release him by faith. Now, Whether that is in speaking in other tongues that so often accompanies what the Bible calls the baptism in the Holy Spirit to help us ongoingly to steward the release of God's power in our lives from speaking in tongues. Whether it's stepping out by faith to speak in tongues or stepping out by faith to share the gospel with someone or to lay hands on the sick. Every time we step out by faith, it releases the living water, the power of the Holy Spirit within us to bring those miracles to pass. So we have to learn to step out by faith. That's the key. It's like you've got all of that water in the tank. Unless you turn the tap, the water doesn't flow. Well, stepping out by faith is like turning the tap on. It releases the power. I want to encourage us to make 2020 a year where we turn the tap on, turn, turn the tap off and release the power of the Spirit, walking hand in hand with Jesus and fulfilling his great purpose of saving the lost and bringing his kingdom to those in need. I want to close by saying the greatest purpose of all, of course, is that Jesus came to save us. In Matthew 18, verse 11, he said these words, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Do you know, before we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says we're all lost. We're lost to the purpose of God. We're lost in sin so that's why that old hymn says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I have a great desire in my heart, a great passion to win people to Jesus. I was 19 years old when I, when first of all, the Lord really burnt this into my heart in a very personal and powerful way. It was in my first year of ministry, and in my first year of ministry there in the team I was working with, the leader of the team, Don, his, his line for all of us as traveling ministers were that once a month at least we had to be in the local church. The rest of the time we were out doing missions and, and whatever. And this particular weekend I was home in church. It was a Sunday morning. I wasn't the preacher. But, you know, I'd learned ever since I was a teenager, because as, as I said, my dad was a pastor and I grew up in church. And I'd learned that sometimes in church it's possible It should never happen, but it's possible that people can walk into church and out of church without anyone ever talking to them. Now, that's terrible. It should never happen, but sometimes it does. And so I used to learn to keep an eye out for the people no one else was talking to. And so here we were this particular Sunday, and I'm keeping an eye out, and I saw a man in his 60s come in. And at the end of the service, he's having a a biscuit and a cup of tea, and I noticed no one was talking to him. So I thought, he's my man. So I went up to that guy. I introduced myself. I said, hello, sir. I said, "Uh, I've not seen you here before. I said, "Uh, is it your first time? He said, yes, it is. I said, I hope you enjoyed the service. He said, very much. I said, uh, then I thought, you know what? I'm going to just go for the jugular. So I said to him, can I ask you, sir, in all honesty, have you ever received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you sure your sins are forgiven and that one day you'll make it to heaven? And he looked at me for a moment. He said, you know, I'm not sure. In fact, that's why I came to church today. I said, I'm troubled about my future. I thought the preacher would give an opportunity for us to become Christians, that we could really know the Lord. He said, but he didn't do it. I said, well, I'm sorry about that. I said, but. However, I said, you're here, I'm here, and God's here. And there's no time like the present. I said, is there any moment, is there any reason why you couldn't give your life to Jesus right now? He looked at me and said, well, I guess there isn't. I said, good. Well, bow your head and close your eyes. Let's pray. And there and then I had the joy of leading him to Jesus. Well, he left with a smile on his face. But you know, the next day as I was driving out of the town, and those of you who know Austell in Cornwall, there's a very steep hill that goes from the center of the town up to where the railway station is. And I'm driving up there on my way to do a, an itinerary of churches around the country. And as I'm driving up that hill, I suddenly notice an ambulance by the side of the road and a crowd of people gathered around a body on the pavement. So I stopped my car, I got out of my car and I went down to the crowd to see if I could help. As I gently pushed through the crowd, I found there that lying on the floor, the body of the man I'd led to Christ in the church the day before. He went to be with the Lord that day. And I was so pleased that I had stopped for the one. I don't always stop for the one. I can only say, Lord, forgive me. But you know, I'm so grateful I did for that man because he went to be with Jesus. He was saved in the nick of time. I think it's the great American theologian Don Carson who says the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. Salvation is a now thing. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. You never know When will be your last breath on this planet? There's a very thin veil between this life and the next. And you want to end up in the right location. I'm just going to pray for us now. And we're going to return to some ministry in a moment. But let me pray for you for a moment that every one of us from this day will make the choice to leave behind the regrets of the past and to say, yes, Lord. I receive you as my savior. I receive you as my new life, my new day, my new beginning in a relationship with you. Let's pray together. Amen. Father, we thank you today for your great plan and purpose for our lives. It's not your purpose that anyone be lost, but that all be saved. I pray that not one of us will leave this place today without knowing your saving grace in our lives, without knowing the joy of your forgiveness and embracing the good plan you have for us. Thank you that you have prepared a wonderful plan for our lives. And today we say yes to it. Have your way with us, Lord. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.